My name is Eamon McGraw, and I am a chaplain, as was said, over uh, with the Seabees. I'm assigned to Naval Mobile Construction Battalion 133, stationed out of the CB base. And uh, this week, I have been out in the field uh, doing training, getting ready to deploy again, uh, you know, the normal um, military life. And uh, this particular training is preparation to go back to Afghanistan. It's, it's called counter IED, improvised explosive device training. And um, the upshot of it is getting your mind ready for a different world, a different environment. But throughout the week, I was reminded of the depravity of this world, of the fear in it, of the pain people experience. And so this morning, as we sit here, as I look at this beautiful sanctuary, as, as I look at all of you, uh, I'm reminded how good it is to worship. Uh, maybe most of our weeks, hopefully most of our weeks, were not as clear a reminder of this broken world. But this is a glimpse of the future. Maybe not all sit, sitting in one, staring in one direction, but uh, gathering together to worship, to be at peace, not just for a few moments, but forever. And so uh, it is honestly a, a real pleasure to come and worship with you, to sing with you, to read scripture, um, and hopefully to learn something. We're going to learn about Psalm 20 today. I almost said 21. Psalm 20. This is one of my favorite psalms, uh, and it's one that I've never heard talked about. I've never heard quoted. And so hopefully, uh, this psalm has something to speak to all of us. So let's, let's go ahead and read it. If you turn to Psalm 20, we'll read the whole thing. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation and in the name of our God set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the, with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. O Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. This uh, uh, psalm obviously says a lot. We could go in a lot of different directions, and I notice there's no clock hanging here, so... Um, perhaps I have more time than I planned for. So maybe we can cover all of them, but I, I wanted to cover in particular a couple of verses, uh, and maybe they stood out to you as well. Verse 3, where it says, May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. I've noticed uh, often that this verse proves a stumbling block uh, to people when I read it. More in particular, people um, from our tradition. The Reformed tradition uh, has a lot of strengths, but we also have our weaknesses as well. 
So we begin this psalm, and it talks about God answering us in our day of trouble. When we are too weak, God is strong. When we need help, he is there. He is the conqueror. He is the savior. Uh, Those are our normal ideas. But then we get to this idea that may he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. How does that apply? Are we negotiating with God? If we uh, offer uh, burnt sacrifices, then God will remember us in the day of trouble. Is, Is that what this is teaching? We, of course, in our tradition, be very quick to say, no, of course not. Grace is free, or it's not grace. God's goodness does not depend on a bargain. It does not depend on us earning it in any way, and we would be right. But then what do we do with this verse? What do we do with the psalm that says the opposite? Well, a couple things. If we uh, look at it, the beginning of each of these verses, he's saying, may the Lord, may the name of God, may he send, may he remember. He's not giving a wishful thought. He's saying this is going to happen. God will answer you in the day of trouble. God will um, protect you. God will send you help. God will give you support. God will remember your worship. Scripture is not interested in wishful thinking. It speaks in truth. And so these verses are giving us truth. If you look in the New Testament, a lot of the ending of the the letters, uh, our benediction today will come from the book of Hebrews. And it says, may God do these things. So are the blessings of Scripture, wishful thoughts, uh, nice ideas that might or might not come true? When we say... um, May Christ bless you. Are we saying, well, maybe he will, maybe he won't. We don't really know. It sure would be nice if Christ was there for you, but we'll find out. Or are we saying Christ blesses his people? Take confidence in that blessing. God will do these things. You should see what time it is before I get going here. 11.30. A couple of big theological words. God is transcendent and God is imminent. Scripture teaches both. Um, God is huge and God is here. Okay. The book of Isaiah, God tells us that he knows each of the stars by name. And think about that. We, don't have, we can't write out the number of stars. We have to use scientific notation to come up with a number big enough to describe how many stars there are in the universe. And God calls each one by name. He knows him personally. It talks about God being able to measure the waters in the palm of his hand. On a day like this, there's flash flood warnings everywhere. It's been raining for days. We look out at the Gulf. There's a lot of water, and God measures it. He knows exactly how much there is, and he measures it in the palm of his hand. God is pretty big. And the more we think about how big God is, the more we realize how insignificant we are. Right? Why do we matter? The size of the universe compared to me. If you've seen the movie um, For Love of the Game, and I love baseball, I love everything about baseball, so I therefore love this movie. Um, but there's a scene later in the movie uh, where this pitcher has gone through the game and he's nearing the end of his arm strength, 
and he prays. And he says uh, something to the effect of, God, I, I always thought it was stupid to pray about a game, to include you in something so trivial as baseball. But if you could make this pain in my arm go away for a few more moments, I'd appreciate it. How often do we think the same thing? This thing I'm doing, that's, that's insignificant. Maybe God is concerned about me. Maybe he's concerned about my salvation. Maybe he cares about big things, about like me caring for the poor. But does he really care about pain in my shoulder during a game? Does he really care about um, me being bored? Does he really care about me uh, being frustrated in my job? Well, we run into this same problem. We are good at understanding how big God is, and we are good even at understanding that he is present to do things spiritually for us. But do we really believe that God cares about everything in our lives? Sometimes we don't. Well, God does care. And if you stop and think about it, what makes our salvation so much more significant to God than our uh, struggles with boredom at work? If God is really as big as he claims he is, if we are really as insignificant as we are, then why is one part of our lives important to God and not another? Either all of our lives matter to him, or none of it does. Well, that's the good news of who God is, of the salvation he earned uh, on the cross um, and his presence with us. It's that he cares about you. All of you. Every aspect of you. Every aspect of your life. Well, this verse uh, reminds us that he doesn't just care. He takes pleasure in accepting our worship. And this, this verse is, is referring to the Old Testament system of offerings and burnt sacrifices. These are acts of worship. This was their system of worship, and God likes it. Again, if you're like me, and like many believers, sometimes we question that fact. We are so insignificant. We are so sinful. We are so fill in the blank. That God doesn't really even like our worship. He's gracious enough to let us worship him, but we're not really good enough. Our worship is not really pleasurable to God. It's just he lets us do it because that's the best we can offer. Well, that's just not true. If God is uh, true to his word, then he does love us. And he loves our worship. Last year, um, when I was on deployment, um, and military people in the room probably have similar stories, uh, I would get, on occasion get uh, mail. And my kids sometimes would send homework assignments. Uh, it, little, my little kids, it's, you know, two plus two on a sheet over and over. And it was awesome. Is there anything in that object 
by itself that um, makes it worthy of my attention. No. But I loved it. We all have similar uh, feelings. Uh, Perhaps you've done work projects with uh, young children. How painful it is and slow to get anything accomplished when you have a bunch of little hands pulling and pulling and dropping things and moving things around and whatever. And yet, it's great. Well, the God we serve says that he loves us. And if we love our families in our weak, sinful way so much that we enjoy them doing things for us, even when we don't need them, how much more is the God who loves purely, totally, so much that Jesus died for us, how much more is his love um, fulfilled when we offer what we have? God loves our worship. But this verse goes further. It says, uh, remember and regard our worship. Do you think God remembers what you do? We know that in Christ our sins are washed away. The record is clean. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. And that's good news, wouldn't you say? Our sins are forgotten. But does that mean that God remembers nothing about you? Well, no. God loves you. He cares about you. He wrote the story of your life. He died to bring you to himself. God remembers your worship. Sometimes I think we forget that there is a difference between believers and unbelievers. Have you ever stopped to think about that? There's a difference between God's people and his enemies. Now, our prayer certainly is that all believe, that every knee bows and worships him, certainly, but there is a difference between where we once stood in God's eyes and where we stand in Christ. In Christ, as we worship him, it means something. It pleases God. He remembers it because he cares. Our worship matters. Our worship is good. Now, most Reformed Christians, most Presbyterians get nervous when you say anything that we do is good. Right? Scripture is pretty clear that we are sinful people, that we are corrupt, that we are incapable of doing good. And yet, Scripture is equally clear that in Christ, God has created good works for us to walk in them. That in Christ, we do good. As Paul would say, it's not us, but Christ in us. That it is God accomplishing good through his people. So that we might not boast in ourselves, we might boast in Christ. But nevertheless, it's good. In God's eyes, worship is good. And God remembers it. 
So we move on to the next verse. And he says, May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. And if that uh, previous verse didn't make you nervous, hopefully this one does. That God's blessing for you is that he's going to grant all of your heart's desires. Well, you might say, well, surely we have to put in some caveats here. Scripture doesn't really mean what it's saying here. We're not going to get everything we want in this life. We know this from other parts of Scripture, and we certainly know it from experience. Life is full of pain. Jesus himself said, uh, count the cost. If you're going to follow me, you have to carry your cross. Suffering will come. I came not to bring peace, but to bring the sword. So, my heart's desire certainly is not for the sword, for the cross, for suffering, and for death. So, there's a little tension here. Is that fair to say? And yet, God says it. What are, what are our heart's desire? Uh, there's a, a quote here. I'd like to read it from a pastor named Frederick Buchner. It says, like Adam, we have all lost paradise. And yet we carry paradise around inside us in the form of a longing for, almost a memory of, a blessedness that is no more. Or the dream of blessedness that may someday be again. Our hearts desire many things, most of them passing. A new car, a new home, a new toy, a fixed, you name the problem. But... Deep down, what is it our heart needs? Uh, What about truth? What about a pure relationship? What about justice? My two-year-old, with her very limited vocabulary, understands the concept of justice. Without even being able to complete a sentence, she can come over to my wife or I, pointing to the older kids, explaining with various noises how they are in the wrong. We have a sense of justice, of right and wrong. And we want it. What about beauty? To be beautiful, to be surrounded by beauty. You might call these echoes of heaven. We were created to be and to have all of those things. We were created in the image of God, who is the essence of beauty, the essence of justice, the essence of truth. We were created to be in a perfect relationship with God for eternity. And we still want all of those things. Every desire in our lives points us back to God. When we pray this prayer, when this is offered as a blessing, may he grant you your heart's desire. May he grant you what you were created to need. Well, we would be right in in saying, what about sin? Here's another good quote. Uh, What can this incessant craving and this impotence of attainment mean? Unless there was once a happiness belonging to man, of which only the faintest traces remain. 
in that void which he attempts to fill with everything within his reach. Our desire is for God and for all of these things he created us to have. And they're missing. And so this corrupt heart of ours grabs hold of anything it can get to try to fulfill our deepest desires. We replace love with lust. We replace replace justice with selfishness. We replace truth with lies. But our desire is the same. There was a a TV show on last night, uh, Stephen Hawking's Some Big Long Title, Something About the Universe. Every one of his shows always has the universe in the title. Um, And, you know, it was a well-made show. It was very interesting. But there was one part of it that caught my attention that where he was discussing whether we need a God as a creator. And he talked about there being a, a scientific explanation that is much more compelling. Use the word compelling, and that stuck out to me. He is desperately seeking truth. He is driven to it because that is what God created him to be. And he's done uh, a lot of good things. He has found a lot of true things about the universe, but this idea that there being no such thing as personhood in the universe, that there's no such thing as life being more compelling. His sinful heart wants truth, and he wants meaning. He wants to be compelled into a greater universe. And so the desire of his heart is right. But sin has corrupted it. You might be familiar with the G.K. Chesterton quote. Um, there was a call for articles by a newspaper or, or journal of some sort. Um, it asked a bunch of scholars and writers to compose essays and submit them on what is wrong with the world. So the topic line, what is wrong with the world, and um, economists wrote and, and philosophers and scholars and theologians and people were submitting all of these great treatises. And G.K. Chesterton wrote his and he composed a sentence. He sent in, in regards to what's wrong with the world, I am. And he hit it on the head. That is the problem. The world would be a great place if none of us were in it. Sin has corrupted our desires. And so we rightly are suspicious of our desires. We're rightly suspicious when people say that God is going to give you everything you want. But we need to be careful to not take that too far. Sometimes we get so suspicious of sin that we forget about the good. What we're doing is we're looking at God's justice and forgetting about his grace. A God who is good enough to save us from our sins is good enough good enough to change us as well. The same place we find the promises of God's justification, of our forgiveness, we find the promises of God changing our hearts and producing good out of us. So uh, we are right to be suspicious of sin, but we need to look also at God's grace. For the believer, is not holiness one of our desires? How many of you uh, have had the experience of uh, having a great time in worship? 
of feeling energized and on fire for God, and then going home and within a day, or maybe a day or two, feels like you're back to reality, and God feels a million miles away. Where sin is front and center, and grace is not. On those moments, we want holiness. How great would life be? How great um, would our worship be if sin did not trip us up all the time? What about rest? Not just the kind of rest uh, from after a long day's work. The kind of rest that people crave when they've had to deal with a, a terminal illness in the family for years. The kind of rest people need um, when they come home and every single earthly possession is gone. The kind of rest people need um, when they've made seven combat deployments. Rest is promised to us. Peace is promised to us. Home is promised to us. But we don't have it yet. Those are desires of our heart. The more you know Christ, the more you will desire these. The closer you get to heaven, the more you want it. Because it's only in Christ, it's only in the new kingdom whether that is in heaven uh, before the throne or in the new heavens and new earth when they are rebuilt, we only have a taste of all of these gifts. May he grant you your heart's desire. This is what we want. And so we should ask. Does Jesus not tell us, uh, why do we not get what we want? We don't ask. Well, what is it we're asking for? Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Um, Very devout believers, almost always in their prayers, when they ask for something, will say, not my will, but yours. Um, They're copying a good person to copy, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who asked God, take this cup from me, but not not my will, but yours. But Jesus already knew what God's will was. Why do we always throw in the caveat when we ask for something? We're throwing in a safety net saying, okay, God, I don't want to put you... Uh, on the hook. So whether you say yes or no, either way, I'm going to pray for both sides and then you're answering my prayer no matter what happens. So I'm safe. And you're safe and we can just keep going, right? Well, why do we do that? Is God not big enough and strong enough to figure things out for himself? Is he not able um, in his grace to tell us no for something we've been begging for and still hold on to us? If you remember back in the book of Exodus, 
uh, Israel has come to Sinai. The people are gathered there. Uh, Moses goes up and meets with God. Israel can hear and see the evidence of God on the mountain. It must have been a tremendous event. And so what do the people immediately do? They make an idol and uh, do crazy things. Moses comes down and uh, yells at them and he goes back up on the mountain and God says, I'm going to kill them all. They're done. And Moses prays. And does he say, God, don't kill them, but, you know, your will be done. You know what you're doing. Or, as we read, he doesn't let God off the hook. He says, God, don't do this. Imagine how it would look to the Egyptians. You are more gracious than this. Save your people. No caveats. He asks. And God doesn't kill them. Or if we look in the book of Ephesians, and you can uh, turn over there um, to chapter uh, 3. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, and starting in verse 14. Ephesians is, uh, is a great book for a lot of reasons, but one of the, the neat things about it is Paul um, going in and out of prayer. He's teaching and praying and going back and forth um, almost as though he is, is so excited he can't contain himself. He'll be teaching on a subject, and he'll get so excited about it, he'll break into praise of God and then come back to his point and get so excited again that he'll offer a prayer for the people about it and then come back to teaching, and he goes back and forth. Uh, but in verse 14, we read this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How many of your prayers sound like that? Now, if we pray for stuff that we need, do we need to give God an out? Paul here is saying, God, help your people to know your love. Do we need to say, but if it's not your will to let them know your love, then... That's okay, too. This psalm that we're looking at should make us pray boldly. Be bold. Look at your own heart and what God has created there and what God has recreated there through Christ. And those things that you need, don't be wishy-washy. Pray. Expect them. Know that God cares. Remember, God cares enough to pay attention to you, to every aspect of you. And he has promised in Scripture to give you good things, to show you his love, to change your heart, to give you the strength to carry on to the end, whatever that end might be for you, to have you in paradise for eternity. 
to pray like it. I remember uh, the, the Navy process for application for chaplains, um, I think they make intentionally ridiculous and painful. Um, and so about eight months into this process, we get to the point where uh, you go to D.C. for what's your board interview or something. I, I'm sure there's some big military acronym for it, but I forgot what it was. Um, and you go, and there's a, a group of uh, O6s, captains and colonels, um, a whole room full of them. And you go in, and they get to ask you all sorts of questions. Um, and, uh, again, for people who know, hanging out with captains in official capacities is a lot of work. There were a group of, of chaplains there that day interviewing. And uh, perhaps it's a good sign that we decided to pray in advance. And we read this verse. And our prayer was, give us the words to say. Let us answer honestly and be truthful. But let us get selected. Our prayer was not, Lord, whether you want us to do this or not, we will serve you. That's true. Whatever road you open up for us, we will be faithful to you. That's true. But where were our hearts? Eight months of appointments and paperwork and challenges and all sorts of different things, and we were there, and what is it we wanted? We wanted them to say yes. And so we said, God, give us this. No. God said yes for some and no for some. And he is faithful. But our prayers should be bold. Our prayers should leave no doubt when they get answered. And we can do that with confidence because he cares. The end of this uh, psalm stops putting it in the, the blessing format, the may format. And it just says, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. The God who answers. The God who saves. Why do we pray? Because God cares. What do we pray for? The desires of our hearts. And we trust God because he saves. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, you truly are a gracious God. We do not understand how or why you care for us, but Lord, we know that you do. Lord, remind us that you took not a piece of us, but the whole of us, that we are yours, body and soul, forever, that there's not an aspect of our life that escapes your notice or that escapes your care. That when we hurt, you care. When we are sad, you care. When we are joyous, you care. Um, 
When we sit, you care. When we work, you care. When we do momentous things for your kingdom, you care. When we do nothing but sit in silence thinking about you, you care. Teach us what it means to pray to a God who is that big and yet cares for us. Teach us what it means to ask big questions and to seek big things. Teach us what it means to pray for the desires of our hearts. Give us the grace and the strength to ask big things of a big God. Teach us what it means um, to love you. Lord, we ask these things because we trust you. We know that you are who you say you are, that you are a God who cares and a God who saves. You are a God who acts. So we trust that you will glorify yourselves through us as you have promised. Give us the grace to leave this place glorifying you and proclaiming you to all we meet. In Christ's name, amen.